What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off the Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Helen High is the head of Binance Charity. In this episode, we talked about what they're building at Binance Charity, how blockchain can help solve many of the issues in the philanthropic world, and how you as a listener can get involved and make a real impact. But before we get into this episode, I want to talk about the three sponsors that made it possible. The first, BlockFi. If Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have any chance of ever becoming the next global reserve currency, we're going to need a lot of infrastructure and wealth management services built. It's exactly what BlockFi is doing. Many of you already know, I'm a huge fan. I even invested and I'm a user. And so today they offer three products. The first gives US dollar loans against your crypto as collateral. The second is an interest bearing account for your crypto deposits. And the third is allowing you to buy or trade cryptocurrencies. These three products are important in helping people do more with their Bitcoin, Ethereum, GUSD, etc. You don't want to sell your crypto, but you need US dollar liquidity, BlockFi can give you a loan. Or maybe you're a long-term holder like me, but want to earn some interest on your assets. Obviously, rates vary, but right now, BlockFi is paying 6.2% APY on Bitcoin and 8.6% APY on GUSD deposits. Those are unheard of interest rates in the legacy fiat world. As if these three products weren't enough, BlockFi also recently told their users that they will be launching a credit card in 2020 that pays their rewards in Bitcoin rather than cashback or loyalty points. A Bitcoin rewards credit card not only sounds dope, but should help more people earn Bitcoin for their everyday purchases too. BlockFi has been a longtime supporter of the Off the Chain podcast, and I'm a huge fan. So go to BlockFi.com pomp and check them out. There may even be some discounts and surprises when you go to BlockFi.com pomp. Wink, wink blockfi.com slash pomp. The second advertiser is Unstoppable Domains. That's right, Unstoppable Domains. Many of you have probably heard about YouTube taking down crypto-related content or MetaMask getting removed from the Google Play Store. Well, the decentralized web is going to make that kind of censorship impossible. There are lots of companies working on it, but one of the companies I'm really excited about is Unstoppable Domains. Brad and the rest of the team over there have created a way for anyone, even those without technical knowledge, to launch their own decentralized website. You can also get paid using that same unstoppable domain. So if you go to unstoppable domains, you can get a dot crypto domain to build a decentralized website or use it as an address to receive cryptocurrencies. That's right. I've got pomp.crypto and I can use it to get paid. It's a huge improvement for sending Bitcoin, and everyone and anyone should use it. You can already go to Trust Wallet, Atomic Wallet, Coinomi right now, type a .crypto domain into the send field, and pay someone. Think about that. In order to onboard the next billion people, we can't be talking about hex addresses anymore. Bitcoin's just too hard. Everyone uses domain names. It's a system anyone who's been on the internet already understands. You won't have to sit there with your heart beating fast as you send your next payment if you're using .crypto domains. So head on over to unstoppabledomains.com. That's a pretty cool name, unstoppabledomains.com. Go over there right now, get your domain, and stop sending out long hex addresses every time you want someone to send you money, unstoppabledomains.com. Now, the third sponsor is a really special one because it's me. That's right. Off the chain isn't just a podcast. It's also a newsletter. If you head over to offthechain.substack.com, every morning I send out an email that gives you personal news and analysis of the current events and news of the day. It takes me about an hour, hour and a half every morning to write, and I send it out to about 40,000 different people. Go to offthechain.substack.com and see what I'm talking about every single day. Now let's get into this episode with Helen. 
Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, bang, bang. I'm here with uh, Helen. Uh, We got a lot to talk about because uh, you work on what I think is one of the most important things in crypto, but nobody ever talks about it. So uh, you are here all the way from China. (laughs) Thank you for coming. It's my great pleasure. Uh, Good morning. Most most people don't come and tell me that it's their pleasure to be here. It's usually (laughs) my pleasure. Um, Let's start with uh, your background before we get into the work with Binance, Uh, because you've been working on um, kind of philanthropic efforts for a long time, right? Yes. All right. What? Uh, where were you born first? I was born in northeast of China. Northeast. All yeah, right. I was in China until I was seventeen, and okay. left China, to, went to England to get educated. Uh, I uh, I was I'm a trained actuary. Do you An know? actuary. Actuary yeah, is yeah, one of the most boring job in the world. It's important though for like insurance, <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, I used to be the chief actuary for Zurich Financial Services in China. Really? Yeah. After 10 years working in the city of London. Okay. What was the biggest difference between China and England when uh, when you went? Wow. Um it was funny. I remember I went England in 1995. In 1995. Yes. Okay. And uh, at that time, there are two things. Number one, I went to Chinatown. Nobody speaks Mandarin <laughs> in Chinatown. They all speak Cantonese, which is a do- dialogue in people speaking in Hong Kong. Uh-huh. And then uh, when I left uh, London in 2000, uh, in uh, 2005. Okay. Um, if you go to like Louis Vuitton, Chanel. At least there's a staff speaks Mandarin. Whoa, whoa, hold on a second. So when you got there in 1995, Chinatown, everyone spoke Cantonese, but they didn't speak Mandarin. Exactly. Can, can you because underst- there's very few Mandarin customers. Yep. And then the time I left, you know, like 12 years later, you know, if you go to the big department store. Everyone Louis, spoke Mandarin. There's at least a, a staff speaks uh, China, uh, speaks Mandarin. That means actually the traffic, the customer's traffic. Yeah. Can uh, If I speak Mandarin and you speak Cantonese, can we understand each other? Not really. Not really. So it's a pretty different dialect. Exactly. Wow. So I think my generation is a very interesting generation mm-hmm. in China. We witness the huge economic growth. Mm-hmm. The year I was born in China, the GDP per capita in 1978 is only 154 US dollars. Okay. Which is less than one third of the sub-Saharan African countries. So the year I was born in China is pretty Nothing. poor. Yeah, yeah. It's very poor China. And then uh, in my generation, I witnessed 680 million people has been lifted out the international poverty line in China. According to World Bank, the number of people living under the international poverty line in China, uh, uh, the, the, and, under, the inter- poverty, under the international poverty line in the world, uh, since 1960 to today didn't decline if I exclude the 680 million people in China. So really? that's how big is, that's since you want to understand China. So I think China in the last centuries make, made the huge, uh, the biggest development 
effort in the world in terms of poverty reduction. Yeah, and so what have they done to do poverty reduction in China? Like, like is, what are the actual efforts? Yeah, I think this is a great question. I think job creation it is the key for poverty reduction. If you are looking at the world, even like a much bigger level, from 1960 to 2008, globally there's about 200 developing economies. Mm. But in the period I just mentioned, there's only actually two economies moved from lower income status to high income status. That is South Korea and Taiwan. China likely to be the third one by 2025. Out of those 200 developing economies, only 13 of them moved from middle income status to high income status. Out of those 13, eight of them are in Europe. The original GDP gap are, are, are higher. So the gap is smaller, smaller. So the other five are the Asia Four Tigers plus mm -hmm. Japan. It was a common consensus in the world post-Second War in the 1960s. Africa has a much better chance for economic transformation. Mm -hmm. Asia is a hopeless continent. But the reality in our human history is the opposite. I think one of the biggest things is development models. Because Africa has been followed in a way the Western aid driven development models, but in that in Asia, they were actually the country who uh, had a huge chance for economic transformation. They were really take, uh, they took the golden opportunity in the 60s and 80s during industrialization and relocation. They were able to capture that golden opportunity, created millions of jobs mm -hmm. for people in the bottom of the pyramid. Mm -hmm. And that is the jump start of those countries' economic so basically transformation. basically it's how do you give people opportunity when you give them opportunity they end up getting income when they have income then they can get above that poverty line because uh they're actually kind of um working for income which leads to higher means of living um rather than go some of the other routes that other countries have gone where it's more of kind of socialist and let's just hand money to everybody this will uh actually solve some of the problem i think that's correct uh also very importantly i really believe in the empower the bottom uh the part of the mm -hmm. pyramid. I think this is why I'm so keen on the decentralized idea for the okay. blockchain technology. Because if you're looking, you know, like, uh, for example, in Africa, the traditional model, you know, maybe you sell oil, who get benefited? The top 5% mm -hmm. of the people. And then when the money went there, sitting in their uh, uh, a bank account, maybe in Switzerland, mm -hmm. That how about the, the middle layer and the bottom layer? That is the problem. But if you are looking at the Asia development model, when they work on industrialization, the workers get paid. When they get paid, they go to spend in the restaurant and then they spend, go to the cinema. The whole economy got actually empowered. Mm -hmm. So I think empowering the bottom layer is a very powerful tool to get a whole economic transformation instead of just having the top 1% people getting rich. Got it. And so when you think about... Um kind of philanthropic efforts around the world. Uh, you've spent a lot of time in Africa. Uh, maybe talk about kind of your experience there and, and prior roles you had before you came over to Binance, and then we can talk about what you guys are doing with Binance. Sure. Uh, the reason uh, actually moved me from financial sector actually to to development, I, I did my executive MBA from INSEAD. You know, uh, during that course, I had a leadership development. On my first day, my, my, my coach asked me, Helen, what kind of leader you want to be? I said, before I want to be become a leader, I want some 
true happiness, you know, for myself. And talking about my personal background, I think uh, my gen- uh, I was born in, in, in Northeast China. My definition of purpose before I was 30 is to become a good daughter, which is to- A good stu- daughter? A good daughter, <laughs> which is to study well, go to a good college, and then go to a big company, climb the corporate ladder. I did exactly of that. I made my parents very happy. But at the age of, of 30, I asked myself, am I truly happy of myself? Mm-hmm. Now, really, that kind of happiness have to be inside. So that's the question I actually asked my coach. I want true happiness. Mm-hmm. He told me uh, uh, something. He said, Helen, in order to achieve that true happiness, you need four pillars in life. You need the past, future, achievement, and purpose. Very important. Wait, sorry, the past, future, future achievement, achievement, and purpose. And purpose, okay. And then purpose is something, a goal much bigger than yourself, a goal mm-hmm. you can pursue for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. That's actually something make your personal happiness. And actually, I did a lot of internal thinking during my leadership, uh, a year's journey with my coach. That's actually, I realized, you know, pursuing just personal gain in the financial sector, mm-hmm. that didn't really make me the true happiness, which actually I left the financial sector, who went into Africa, really pursuing that bigger goal. Mm-hmm. And I was really glad I find that kind of bigger purpose because when I saw those poor girls in Africa during my first trip down there, which remind my childhood. And then, but then I witnessed this. I'm a beneficiary of the Asia's economic transformation. Something really I realized I could becoming a new uh, revolution to helping them to change their face. That make me true happiness. Mm-hmm. This is actually the work I've done in the past. 10, uh, 10 years in Africa, which is bringing what I know from Asia, the development model, industrialization, the model who help China, Asia for tiger development, the job creation, that mm-hmm. kind of model to support in Africa. So uh, that's actually the, the, the things before I joined Binance. But then in 2015, I was be, uh, becoming a young global leader of World Economic Forum. So I was being exposed to the fourth industrial revolution, which make me think, you know, every generation have every generation's duty. The model I've been pushing is the second industrialization model, bringing that model to Africa. But then let's look at the third industrial revolution, which is internet-based. What happened in the world? Uh, yes, you know, in US, in China, we're celebrating the technological advancement. But if you're looking at a bigger picture, 1% of the population actually is holding 90% of the global wealth. The world didn't become a better place. So now, where are the generation at the beginning to trying to shape the fourth industrial revolution. I think it's very important we need to think. It's not just about technological advancement for the richer people. We need to think how to make the world a better place, not for our generation, for our future generation. So this is something I truly believe, you know, technology should serve people and should create values. And one of the things I think the beauty of blockchain and crypto is actually providing a newer tool to empower the bottom billion. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons we set up the Binance Charity Foundation. We want to use the technology, not just make the rich people more richer, <laughs> actually is to make the world an even better place. And that's why we also started our pilot in Africa, you know, to using the technology to empower them. So before we get into kind of what you guys are doing, right? Yeah. You spent a lot of time in the finance sector. You then came over to uh, the, the philanthropic area. Um, one of the questions I have is uh, you keep using the word development, 
right? Which is obviously a different word than charity or, or mm. uh, philanthropy. Why the focus on that specific word? Like it, what is the importance of that word versus, um, you know, charity or uh, philanthropy? Yeah. You know, uh, in my view, 1962, Rousseau talked about uh, in the social, con- he introduced the concept of social contract. And he said, you know, we're all born, born free, but everywhere we, we are in chains. If we are looking at since then, the human uh, history actually is a history of human beings trying to search for a good society, whether it's a capitalist or communist or whatever, we're all trying to serve a form of a good society to get rid of the chains. But if you are looking at that, whatever the system we created is always controlled by human beings, you know, and the human beings, because you cannot get rid of the human nature, you know, so people take a loophole, you know, in the system. So I think in this year with the fourth industrial revolution, it's the first time in human history, actually, we have technology, have to set up a certain discipline to combine with, you know, human system, we can try to Built up a new system to making a good society. And this is something what I call development. Because with human beings, you know, we are in a, we keep in a status trying to searching for a good society. I think we're still in, in that stage. And I, I think with our generation, the beauty, we have something very powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's not just a political regime, something called technology. We can blend it, this to becoming a way to trying to th- think about good society. For sure. And, and I guess um, the issues in Africa, across all of the different countries in Africa, where do you guys see like the biggest problems, right? So uh, not so much like mm. what are the issues on the ground uh, that need to be solved, but more in, in kind of the philanthropic and charity activities, right? One of the things that uh, has always struck me as pretty crazy is when somebody makes a donation to a charity, whether it's in the United States or elsewhere, uh, let's say I give a hundred dollars. There's now organizations that have been set up to measure how much of that hundred dollars actually reaches the end person. Right. And, and I think you guys are going after solving this, but let's talk about the problem first. Like, like, is it $50 for every hundred dollars? Is it $20? Like, what do you guys see in terms of how efficient some of these charities are and actually making an impact? Okay, currently, if I give you a number, it will be around 20%. If you 20%. Going into actually the end beneficiary. So every $100 I donate, only $20 actually goes to where I wanted it to go. In a way, directly. Mm-hmm. But then there's a lot of indirect costs occurred. So, But that's all actually for good uh, charity organization. But there's also a lot of charity organization. You have no idea. Mm-hmm. So this is something maybe to further understand the problem. Maybe I'll ask you a question, Anthony. How much did you donate roughly per year 10 years ago? Well, 10 years ago, I was uh, 21 years old, so like nearly nothing. Okay. <laughs> right? I, I think, How about, uh, say, maybe your parents' generation, how much he donated? Yeah. Um, I, I actually don't know. That's a great question, right? Kind of a, a generation above me. I'm not really sure, but uh, I think a lot of the donations um, in the United States, I well, it depends on how you categorize donation. Uh, I bet you that that generation, the largest line item in terms of uh, contributions, right, would be to their church. Yeah. 10% tithing is very popular in uh, in a number of uh, Christian religions, etc. I bet you that's probably the largest 
donation that they made um, in uh, in terms of everything that they gave to. And then obviously there's things like the Red Cross and you know some of those organizations. Um, but but I'm not really sure what the number would be. Okay. Do you, do you know the answer? Uh, I don't know the answer, but I see a trend. But okay, if what's I the ask, trend? The trend, if I ask myself, would my children donate the same way like my grandparents? I think completely not. Oh, they would donate in a different way. Yeah, yeah a different. But will they donate more or less, you think? Uh, I want them to donate. I think I wish them to donate more. Mm-hmm. That's actually one of the things the work we're doing now. Mm-hmm. We want to encourage our future then generation, you know, to have to. I think they also have more privilege, you know, to help the others. So, but currently, I think the system we've got, the donation system, is still actually the same as 30 years back. Mm-hmm. So, there should be a new system, you know, also for the newer generation, mm-hmm. which they believe we want to encourage them. And we talk about actually, you talk, you said a very good, uh, you talk about currently the system, there's a lack of trust. Mm-hmm. You give it to an intermediary, but you have no control of intermediaries doing. Sometimes if you, let's say you give, you know, uh, a donation collect a million, you know, like to support a project, but maybe they pay half million, you know, on the administration fee, you need to pay heavy money for uh, PwC to audit you know, mm-hmm. to produce the auditor account. Is that right? I'm not saying actually they, they, there is uh, corruption to have the 80%, you know, in their pocket, but there's various costs, you know, mm-hmm. introduced. Actually, the money didn't really go into the end beneficiary. But I think today with technology, we can reduce the mm-hmm. middle cost and then having more benefit to the end beneficiary. That's actually the work I, I do. And actually, that's what we truly believe, something we should actually build for our generation, they can trust and they can relate. There should be more uh, direct. And yep. this is even also thinking about a bigger perspective. I think internet allowed free transfer of information. Mm-hmm. Blockchain itself in the next 10, 20 years, you should allow free transfer of value. That means everywhere, you know, like the internet 10 years ago, you cannot think if I'm a poor girl in Africa, I have no idea, you know, like what Anthony is talking about in this part of the world at this time. But with internet, you can achieve that. And for value transfer, I think in the future, we should see that exactly the same. If you want to transfer somebody in a small village, you know, in Africa, you should do that immediately without yeah. barrier. What, what you're talking about is basically that um, there was this huge uh, barrier in terms of exchanging information, right? So the printing press was one of the big kind of inflection points of sharing of information. Then obviously the invention of the internet was another big inflection point. And so there's been a reduction in um, kind of friction uh, or obstacles of exchanging information for a long time. When it came to value, the internet helped a little bit, right? There, there's some uh, inflection point there, and that's great. Blockchain technology, as you're describing, is probably going to be another inflection point in hindsight, et cetera. Um, but when it comes to charities, development, philanthropic efforts, uh, there's two really big pieces. One is the cost of actually transferring the value. But two is also the transparency. Right, the people who want to give but don't have the confidence that it's actually going to go to what they want, you guys are helping to solve that. So. Let's talk a little bit about Binance Charity. Uh, about two years ago, uh, you came over um, and started working with Binance. Why did you do that? 
right? Binance was uh, relatively um, unproven, I think, right? It was kind of a fast-growing company. CZ's obviously, um, I think, very kind of innovative and and a lot of people uh, have rallied behind them. But why did you want to come over and work in, uh, in crypto and Binance specifically? Yeah, I know CZ actually for more than 10 years, about friends. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. be, be even before Binance. He was on the Forbes magazine, magazine in the front cover of Forbes magazine on February 2018. And we had a lunch actually together around March at that time. And then during lunch, we actually didn't talk about, um, you know, like the company first. We talk about uh, purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, he's after uh, thinking about for CZ, after he's being on the front page of Forbes, he also thinking about this question. So that's one of the things I shared with him is also my personal journey in mm-hmm. Africa and also the way I've been searching my purpose. Mm-hmm. So actually, I think uh, make him a lot of thinking. So he asked me a question. He said, Helen, what do you think the future of uh, the purpose for Binance? Uh, at that time, I said, from success to significant. Mm-hmm. I think I, I eventually, you know, the goal actually for Binance uh, during that conversation, I also understand more about CZ. Basically, he truly believed the technology itself should make a much bigger impact in mm-hmm. our human history. This is actually the purpose. And then in order to do that, and then that's why we came into a conversation. He said, after that, that lunch, he said, Helen, uh, why don't I set up a, a Binance charity? Can you help me to head it up, this foundation? Uh, I didn't say yes at that time. I you said did, You did not say yes. I said, I said, uh, CZ, I said, that's what you and me maybe think is right to do, but that's not enough. We should hear from the end beneficiary, the people we want to help. They welcome to do what we want to do. So in the following uh, months, I, I made some arrangement. So in May, I took CZ to Africa. <laughs> and then uh, I introduced, I took him to Togo and then to Uganda. In Uganda, we uh, met the president of Uganda. He was 74 years old. Okay. You know, clearly he's not technological so, so savvy. You, so you, CZ, and the president of Uganda yeah. meet, and he's yes. 74 years old, and yeah. you guys are there to talk about blockchain and crypto. Exactly. How'd that go? was very fascinating, which actually I had a lot of admiration to the president. Clearly, he doesn't understand technology that, that much. So we talk about some fundamental things. We talk about in his old time, the butter time, you know, like he exchanged his cow, actually, for some food. And then we talk about why we need U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about actually what's the fundamental role actually for crypto. And then after those kind of very basic conversation, you know what happened. The president become very quiet for a few minutes and he looked at uh, CZ and me. He said, listen, my friend, today for African countries, we have a choice. We have a choice to determine our development path. We also have a choice to choose our partners. Mm. Today, I choose you two to becoming our partners, to come here to work with us. In this what you called false industrial revolution, Mm. I think we should not become followers anymore. We want to becoming leaders. That's Mm. why we choose you to work with us, Mm -hmm. to develop something to work for us. 
So this is the president said, you know, after some very pretty good, very good, you know, that's he's seventy four years old. But this actually, um, after that conversation, I said to CZ, I said, CZ, now I'm taking your offer. I'm going to head the foundation. That's actually how everything started. That's awesome. Yeah, and actually, why first uh, head up the foundation? What I thought, you know, with Binance limited resource, but still quite powerful in the crypto industry, we should empower the existing initiatives. So we actually had a calling of the industry. I want to support some existing uh, crypto industry. You know, we've got actually, con- we've been uh, about more than 100, you know, uh, companies uh, who are doing char- crypto charity who mm-hmm. contact us. Uh, what's actually a little bit pity, why look at the uh, 100 companies in detail, that was two years ago. About 50% of them are not genuine. They're just using, you know, like the charity, uh, philanthropy, you know, had. But, you know, if you're looking deeper on the business model, they're actually working for their personal gain. And the other 50%, I think it's at the very early stage of development. That's one of the reasons we came to the idea. Instead, you know, just, you know, giving the money away, mm-hmm. we need to do something. And t- today, we two years ago, we realized what is really missing. It's not just people shouting about doing good things. It's really about the last mile solutions. You need to do something concretely on the ground, you know, at the last mile, proving it works. And then this is something actually we focused in the past one year. My I set up a team, actually, they have been stationed in Africa for a year developing this transparent charity platform, mm-hmm. making charity donation transparent and empowering the end beneficiary with crypto ID, allowing for free transfer of value. I think this is something I'm really proud of, you know, for the industry, we demonstrate something in the last mile. It actually value creation for crypto on the ground. Mm-hmm. It's quicker, cheaper, because looking at a bigger per- perspective, what crypto do? I know, uh, Anthony, you believe uh, crypto going to replace fiat. Uh, uh, my view is actually in the coming few years, crypto at least should play a very important complementary to fiat. Mm. And then in order to look deeper of that concept, if you are looking at the global population, currently the bottom billion people that are being excluded in the existing financial industry, Citibank don't serve people, you know, for the bottom billion people. You know, uh, Bank of China don't serve those people. And those people, but doesn't mean those people don't have right being served. Mm-hmm. If we are making the world a better place, we need somebody need to consider them. And this is actually when we gave the crypto wallet in Africa through the charity donation system, we empower them with something like a bank account, allow them yeah. doing value transfer. And I think this is also something I think for the industry we should consider. It's not just making some one or the one percent of the crypto industry user richer. It was thinking about how to have the mass adoption for crypto users. And I think the bottom billion people is the people in need and we want to serve them. Yeah, part of this to me is you can go try to convince people in the United States to use crypto every single day. Uh, but the US dollar and the US financial system work pretty well, right? Yeah. Like you can go get money at the ATM. You can go swipe your card and pay for something. All of those things where right? you can get paid in a bank account, et cetera. Um, you can buy assets, you know, whatever it is. 
but then there's a whole group of people in the world, a, a very material percentage of the population that don't have access to a bank account. They don't have access to any sort of financial services, et cetera. So rather than go target, let's get people who the system you know, pretty much works for them uh, to switch over, that's a pretty hard, hard and tall task. Instead, let's go serve people who they don't have access to any of this stuff. And now with just an internet connection or a mobile device, they now can get all of the services and, and value that uh, kind of the Western or developed world has had for a long time. Uh, and you guys are doing that in a very unique way by, um, it sounds like first giving people crypto wallets, right? Who can now receive funds uh, and gets them kind of onboarded to one crypto, but also two to financial services in general. Absolutely. And if you ask me, you know, my bigger vision, I think today data is the new currency. And then how to define individuals' uh, uh, wealth? You know, currently you and me, we go to Facebook, but actually uh, Facebook get all the advertisement fee, you know, using our data. I think eventually we should own our own data and we should actually uh, have benefit on that. And in order for us to leverage that, to having, a, you know, a, a crypto ID, you know, to allow the first basic infrastructure for value transfer. But on top of it, in the coming years, there should be more things to develop how we can actually making our data becoming our assets mm -hmm. and then we can actually exchanging our assets with the others through the system there's more things to develop so my view is today blockchain still uh, is like 20 years ago when you and me think about internet you we would never imagine today's iPhone, right? Mm -hmm. But I think 20 years later, blockchain will take a lot of, of new forms we cannot, uh, we, we, uh, we, today we cannot imagine. So today is still technology looking for application. So we would call ourselves still industry shapers, mm -hmm. trying to use the basic fundamental of the technology, which is transparent, trackable, to solve some simple problem. But on it, we built up the main, most important basic infrastructure for the system and keep trying. Yeah. What, what is the um, different things that today people can uh, work with Binance Charity to contribute to, right? So uh, my understanding is that you guys have set up um, infrastructure. That infrastructure yeah. can kind of be pointed at different uh, use cases. Uh, so one can be, let's go try to uh, solve hunger in certain mm. countries. Um, and there's about nine other things. What are those other nine things that you guys are helping people to donate towards? Uh, various places. You know, there's hunger that was also refugee project and we also have cancer project actually in Malta so there's a lot of so the whole idea uh, about charity foundation I want to talk about three things number one uh, first you compare with uh, Binance with Nasdaq Nasdaq never committed to give all their listing fees do you know what's their listing fees for Nasdaq you have <laughs> no not. idea so for Binance all the uh, listing fees CC committed all the listing fees actually is going to be 100% transparent to okay, so charity so this is important for people to understand. Yeah. Um, with crypto exchanges, just like in traditional exchanges, there's yeah. a listing fee. Yes. That listing fee basically is an amount of money that uh, company pay. A, a company pays to get their token or their stock listed on whatever exchange they're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, CZ and Binance have committed that 100% of all of those listing fees will be put into the Binance charity and donated to the various efforts that you guys are pursuing. 
Exactly. So because first we talk about it's all about the wealth pyramid globally. The biggest problem today is one percent of people holding ninety percent of the global wealth. How we can have actually more wealth to be more universally distributed in a transparent way? So as a company's level, I think if you compare, you know.、Uh, Finance with Nasdaq, we are making that initiative. We are encouraging. We think even though you are at the early stage of development with the new generation, you don't need to become super rich, become Bill Gates to support people. At this stage, you can. And Binance, a company, we are、mm-hmm. doing that. And then in this, I think we want to encourage the whole crypto industry. You know, the company. You know, following this footstep to do this. And secondly, if we are looking at actually the way、uh, the charity operate, it's the only charity. Today, actually, we charge zero administration fee. We talk about early on. If you donate hundred dollars to something, you know maybe eighty percent pays into the administration fees. Not because those people are bad or or corruption, but those are actually costs. Today, in our charity, we say hundred percent. Of your donation going into end beneficiary, we charge zero administration fee. And for this, everything is not just by word of me saying it. Everything is on blockchain. It's untrackable. You can track actually whether your money went into the end beneficiary's account or actually went into somewhere、yeah. in the middle. So, so right now, you guys only accept donations in crypto. You're working on fiat, right? But right now, I can donate to Binance Charity in crypto. When I make that donation,、uh, 100% of the operations. Administrative costs are covered by Binance, right?、Exactly. So my hundred dollars in Bitcoin or BNB or whatever it is、uh, goes directly to those on the receiving end of that、uh, development work or that that philanthropic work.、Um, and like you said, I can actually track it transparently on a blockchain. Exactly,、right? so I can see exactly where my、yeah. money is going, and I know that that cause that I'm donating to is the actual beneficiary. Exactly, and this is something in the past when you say you trust certain names, that's you trust that organization、mm-hmm. or person. Today, basically, I'm saying you hear what Helen says, but you don't have to trust me. You trust the system, and trust system technology don't lie. And this is what I said early on. We're entering a stage, you know, trust is built on a blended of human and also a technology. This is、yeah. the beauty. Yeah, but it's not just trusting the system as much as it's、uh, having confidence in the system because I can verify the system. Exactly,、right? the verification is what builds that、um, ultimate trust, but but really just confidence in what's happening because I can see it. Sure, and actually, I have also a few questions for you, Andy.、Right. How long have you been in the industry?、Uh, um, so we were talking about it before、uh, end of 2015, beginning of 2016. So、uh, was that four years now, something like that? Four years, okay. And I, I uh, you know, um, you were born in the eighties, right? Uh, I was. I was、yeah. born in nineteen eighty-eight. Nineteen eighty-eight. You know, you represent your generation. You know,、mm-hmm. like um,、uh, is I think is is the po- most powerful generation. You know, in the um, you know, uh, for the world now. So, what do you truly believe? Since you are in the blockchain、mm-hmm. industry, what do you see the purpose <laughs> actually for blockchain and also for your generation? Yeah. Um, I mean, my whole thesis here is just people are going to trust the machines and software over other humans, right?、Um, there's a whole bunch of reasons why that happens,、uh, but ultimately, when you do that,、uh, it has a pretty profound impact on the world, right? And the biggest one being eventually you choose a currency、uh, that is a fully transparent monetary policy、uh, that can be verified, right? So、uh, I think Bitcoin eventually becomes the global reserve currency.、Uh, but then if you look at how do you apply these,、uh, they're really automated triple entry accounting systems, right?、Triple 
triple entry accounting is, I think, uh, highly overlooked in the space. But uh, people who can understand that triple entry accounting brings transparency uh, and it brings kind of that ability to verify um, if you can do it in an automated fashion like a blockchain does uh, and you overlay it on pretty much every industry, there's massive disruption because what you go from is, hey, I have a trusted brand to my customer can now verify. Um, and I think that that's a uh, sounds like somewhat of a nuanced point, but um, it can be quite powerful when it's actually put into practice. And we're seeing that happen uh, in a number of industries already today. Fantastic. And what do you see the biggest challenge for crypto right now? Time. Time. It just takes time. Yeah, because mm. every day somebody new learns about it, somebody new starts using it, somebody new you know receives uh, crypto, somebody uh, tells their friend about crypto, etc. Um, and if you go back over the last eleven years, there's been kind of a continued education and adoption of uh, both Bitcoin and, and other cryptocurrencies or uh, products that are built on top of or supporting uh, various blockchains, etc. And so this with time comes adoption, right? And, and I think it's because um, it's pretty obvious that the technology works, the technology has value, um, but that time just has to pass. And uh, humans hate that answer, right? Because we all want to go do something today that's going to solve the problem, but it's just a time game. So I think when people kind of realize that, it's like, hey, everyone just chill out, right? Like keep doing what you're doing, right? It's all important work, but just takes time, right? And so everyone have some more patience and we'll be, uh, we'll be good to go. What sure. do you think? Uh, me, uh, I think uh, now, right now, technology, we're still at a, a technology curve for the technology is early adopters. I, I think, and then the next biggest move, we need to reach to early uh, uh, majority. That means roughly about 10% of the global population have to use the technology. And currently, I think the crypto users are roughly about 2% of the global population. So how to make that 8%? Jump, I think it's the biggest uh, challenge. That's why five X. Yes, and that's why I think that five X is not just in the middle class globally. That's why I think actually the bottom layer. That's actually what I said, where crypto can play a very important complementary in the existing system. If we are able to, you know, through the transparent system, you know, to empower the bottom billion, I think actually the technology is definitely going to stay. And that's everybody is looking for now, you know, for the non-crypto user that are looking for truly values in this. Yeah. So that's something I would really encourage, you know, more people coming to work in the space. It, the way I think about it is... Uh, uh, like a unit of improvement in quality of life, right? Exactly. And so if you look at like the richest people in the world, uh, if you me if you could somehow measure like the unit of improvement of quality of life, Bitcoin, BNB, Binance, crypto, blockchain, all that stuff, it has some impact, but it is on a percentage basis much, much lower then let's say the bottom billion people in the world uh, in terms of wealth, it can have a very material impact on their life. And so yeah. it's almost like, who is it more important for, right? It's actually more important for the people who have nothing, right? Or very little today, rather than the people who have a lot, um, because you're you're essentially, uh, it's kind of like when a startup says, hey, we grew 5,000% month over month. And you're like, okay, but you started with one user, right? And then you grew 5,000%. Well, that's much harder or that's much easier to do than let's say, you know, Google, who's got hundreds of millions of users to, to do 5,000%. Um, and so I think that uh, that improvement in the quality of life uh, is really important, but also it's, it's almost like if you can affect a human's life, 
uh, where you want to go to the highest impact area, right? And that bottom billion is obviously a place where you can do that. Um, th- we were talking before the podcast, and I want to make sure that we cover it also around uh, this idea of uh, crypto, um, you know, systematically helping uh, a lot of the issues in the world versus uh, philanthropy and development work, um, kind of working at the micro level. Um, how do you think about the charitable work that you guys do uh, in, in terms of solving macro problems versus more solving the micro problems? Uh, it's a shame we didn't, uh, we're not able to show a video. Actually, we just uh, did a video, you know, live video, you know, in Africa to shooting on the actual impact you know, uh, we, uh, we, we've actually achieved, you know, through mm-hmm. our charity project. You know, today- This we, is like the year-end video? Uh, yeah, year-end 2019 video. Okay. We, we showed it actually in Miami uh, two days later. I think when you really, uh, this is something very powerful for me is when my team are working in Africa on the ground, mm-hmm. you know, working with the people, you understand what they truly need. Yep. And that's what I always say, the last mile solution is really impacting them. We started with a lunch project and actually we didn't have any uh, thoughts, what's the next project? Actually, they come to tell us what they need. For example, we have a group of girls on the ground uh, come to our team saying, you know what, they've never used you know, tampons, you know, mm-hmm. sanitary pads mm-hmm. in their lifetime. And then a lot of girls, you know, they had a lifetime issues when they grew up. Mm-hmm. So they, so w- that's why we initiated the, what we call the Pink Care Token Project, you the know. Pink Care, care Token, token. Project. It's the first uh, stable coin uh uh, 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 f- uh, for the industry mm-hmm. we, because people say hey uh, you know like maybe the fluctuation why donate you know my money so we introduce actually a stable coin basically each pink care token represent to supporting one girl's one year's mm-hmm. supply you know of sanitary pads mm-hmm. and you can actually donate instead just and how, say, how much is that in like US dollar terms uh, roughly around four dollars so four dollars every yes. four dollars you give you support one girl's one Yes, sanitary pass. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, so basically you say, hey, you know, for me, it's think what we don't need to talk about dollars. We just need to thinking about, you know, I want to support a hundred people. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how much I need. And you give that stable, you just buy, you know, hundred stable tokens. And you actually all the tokens go to end beneficiaries, you know, account from their account to the suppliers. And then we have a system to tracking everything. Mm-hmm. So this is something we and in this project we have more than forty six uh, crypto companies participated. Mm-hmm. They all saying, hey, you know, as a company, we want to fulfill our responsibility. Each company at least support more than hundreds and thousands of girls, you know, mm-hmm. in this. So this is something we want people, when people donate and support, they can actually point to point support. And then also the same thing with our land project. We have the company saying, hey, I want to, I want to just pick a school, you know, give me a school in Africa and how many peoples there. We just committed for my company. I'm going to be 100% supporting the next five years, supporting for all the school kids mm-hmm. in here and everything's transparent. So and, to, and how much for like the school supplies and things like that? It's about 30,000 US dollar equivalent per year to support for the land project. Mm-hmm. You know, that's $30,000 per year would support how many kids? About uh, around 500. 
500 kids they get lunch for a year. Yes, you know without I think education is very important. But you know when you are underground, why we are supporting lunch? A lot of children they go to the classroom with empty stomach. Mm-hmm. They're not even focusing on the teachers. Mm-hmm. And then so this is something you know the school asks us saying, Helen, you you are here to help us. Can you first support us on the most basic humanitarian support? So those are the things we tested on. But I think the most important thing, as I said, in whatever the project is, different kind of forms. The thing we want to demonstrate is the peer-to-peer transparent transfer. And actually, today, wherever you are, your small areas, rural village in Africa, you've never been to, you can actually point to point support that. Today, maybe it's just the charity, but then when we have a better uh, access value system, you can actually transfer values globally. This is something we truly believe. That's how crypto, you know, should actually create truly values globally. Yep. What do you think is uh, 20 years from now? What do you think that Binance Charity looks like? Uh, I'm pretty sure there will be a lot of new applications. <laughs> First of all, I think um, there. I want to, for the organization itself, I want to empower more younger people mm-hmm. to lead it. Mm-hmm. So, to, uh, you know, in Binance, we call ourselves, nobody is a manager, we're all leaders. So for me, it's the whole decentralized idea, how to empower the new generation to taking it as a platform to do a to, to making the best use of themselves. So I want to encourage more uh, eng- uh, engineers, tech people coming to the platform, thinking about how they can achieve their personal goals. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, you know, I'm pretty sure a lot of, you know, beneficiaries going to be benefited. I think the world should become a better place for my sense generation compare. Mm-hmm. And that's why we call ourselves uh, industry shapers. The work we are doing probably not going to be the same 20 years later, we'll take another very different forms. But I, I want to uh, look back to very proud, you know, during this process, we didn't just sit there and wait. We try things. Some things successful, people keep trying better things. Something may be failed, but we learn from that mm-hmm. and we make the progress. This is about, you know, like how to best leverage every minute of our time, isn't it, Anthony? Yeah, for sure. What, um, what is your pitch to people, right? When you meet somebody and you say, hey, uh, this is what I work on day to day. Here's the impact we can have. Um, there's a lot of people who are going to listen to this. What, what's kind of your pitch to them as to why they should uh, participate um, via Binance Charity versus somebody else? I would um, use the word actually Steve Jobs once said. He said. Ah, invoking Steve Jobs. Very yeah. smart with the tech audience. <laughs> he, he said. Oh, and now, uh, Siri, uh, now Siri wants to yell at me. Okay, go ahead. Sure. Uh, he said, uh, innovation distinguish. I don't, know, I don't know what. Siri's yelling at me now, right now, guys, but we're good. All right, go yeah. ahead. Uh, he said, innovation distinguish leaders and followers. I think actually today, uh, I want to encourage more people to use the innovation, mm-hmm. you know, to define themselves, not just followers, being leaders in the industry to keep trying. So this is something I would really pitch to people. As I don't think, frankly, I don't think what I did today is 100% perfect. But I Why not? Uh, 
because this is still early stage of the technology, as I said, technology is still looking for application. But I'm very proud of the work we are doing is we actually never stop trying. Mm-hmm. And then we are really focusing on the last miles, working with the end beneficiaries to understand what they need. Mm-hmm. What they want is not just what I want, what I need. So I would encourage more people uh, actually to join our project and also even inviting them to Africa and to some, you know, we, this year we want to actually also expand our project into the U.S. We want to have more partners, you know, uh, also to work with us to test on the in the existing system what we've got, how they can help us to go to the next stage together. Mm-hmm. So we're very open and I think the system uh, we've built it up, We eventually I want to make it like an open system everybody can use mm-hmm. and everybody you know can benefit. For sure. Um, at the age of 30, you said that you started to think about purpose and, and uh, that's pretty young, I think actually for most people to, uh, to think about that. What, um, this is a little dark question, but but uh, it, it tells me a lot about somebody. Uh, the day you die, mm. when people say, you know, whoops, sorry, she's dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they say, but the world was better off because she was here. She did X, right? What you're remembered for. What is that X? I think uh, I, uh, I, that's a very, very good question. Um, I don't want to waste every single minute of my time. That's what actually I've been doing when I started to thinking about purpose. But a lot of things I've did, even though being, you know, uh, appointed by UN in the past, in the past, you know, being my work in Africa as the UN Goodwill Ambassador, I never, that was never my goal. Mm-hmm. My goal is actually following my heart mm-hmm. and telling you a story, which actually deep today I still remember. I went to Africa in 2011. What country? Uh, Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior that, actually, I spent a year in Switzerland. So from Switzerland to go to Ethiopia is, is <laughs> a pretty big, big difference. Big, huh? Yeah. And then I stayed in a, at 2011. There's only one five star hotel in Ethiopia called Sheraton. It's one of the Sheraton you can imagine, but it, it has a huge garden full of roses. So uh, two days after I, work, uh, I looked around the city, after dinner, I was digesting my food. So I was walking along the garden. Uh, and then I suddenly hear some music. And then which took me to the back of the hotel. There's a bar called the Office Bar. I went to that bar. I looked around. 2011, I didn't see any African people, uh, you know, like having drinks, enjoying food. It's all foreigners from mm-hmm. Europe, US, and also Asia, which remind me a true story. When I was uh, 30 years back, you know, when I was, you know, uh, seven years old uh uh that was uh that was early 80s uh my f- it was my birthday my father wanted to give me a treat okay. in china so he took me to the capital which is beijing mm-hmm. at that time can you imagine today uh, at that time there's only one five-star hotel in beijing called beijing hotel my father took me to the reception and he asked uh, the receptionist how much is it per night because he wants the family to give family mm-hmm. a, a, a treat uh, the reception told my father $100. That was in the early 80s. Thinking about the GDP I mentioned, you know, at that time, China at that time, my father immediately said, that is too expensive. We cannot afford it. So he was taking me away from that beautiful five-star hotel, Beijing Hotel. The moment I was away from that hotel, as a little girl, I turned my head back. 
I look at the lobby, I didn't see Chinese people, you know, mm-hmm. as guests. I see all the foreigners dressing mm-hmm. very well. At that moment, I thought that is a world does not belong to me. That is a world will never belong to me. But then my life changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to England at the age of 17 and become, you know, senior VP of global organization. To be honest, I don't think that is something about how good I am. Because actually, I'm in a part of the world. The countries find the right development path. Mm-hmm. So the moment I was in Sheraton Hotel, you know, in 2011 in Ethiopia, what went through to my mind is outside the big gate of Sheraton, there must be a lot of young girls thinking exactly like me 30 years back. Mm-hmm. In their mind, inside the big gate of Sheraton, full of roses, yep. it's a world that's not belong to them. Mm-hmm. It's a world that will never belong to them. What they don't know is, unless their country can find the right path of development, mm-hmm. their life will change dramatically. So since then, I would call myself as an industry shaper, trying to help Africa shaping the job creation through industrialization. Now, as a newer generation, I'm trying to see what we can do in the fourth industrial revolution. You see, at actually a higher level to thinking about helping those countries to find the right path of development because I truly believe that is a way to change some generations. It's just like my life uh, being transformed. You mm-hmm. know, without kind of uh, development path change in China today, I would be that poor girl, you know, outside the big gate, mm-hmm. you know, of a hotel thinking about that world will never belong to me. And I think in 20 years later, I hope you know, a lot of poor places, a lot of girls can also proud, you know, their life can be changed. And I think today the with blockchain technology and crypto is a powerful tool, you know. Uh we should we should use it well yeah. to make the world a better well, place. And I think there's two components to this, right? So um one is there's the macro issues and then there's the micro issues. The micro yeah. issues are the girl who needs the sanitary pads, right? The child who needs lunch for a year, et cetera. And so we can uh, use donations, right? Where those who have something can give to those who don't have something uh, and we can make their lives better, right? And, and kind of it's, um, it, it's a way to uh, reduce pain. It's a way to reduce uh, poverty to some degree, right? It's a way to kind of address the problem. Um, and that is where I think Binance Charity is playing a, a fantastic role of showing, hey, look, these blockchains can actually show full transparency. We can increase the efficiency of your dollars and the impact of your dollars with these new systems, right? And so, so it's incredibly commendable. The problem that uh, the micro solutions don't bring is there's still the macro problem, right? So there's still people in poverty. There's still all these issues. Um, and that's where I think, you know, my personal view is that uh, something like Bitcoin can come in and actually have a macro impact because what it does is it rewires the whole system, right? The thing that um, I spend a lot of time talking to uh, younger kids, right? Usually kind of um, 25 and younger uh, and they'll DM me on Twitter or send me an email and, and they're always asking, you know, like, what should I do with my life? All, all this kind of stuff. They're good questions, but what I realize is they don't understand that the deck is stacked against them, right? They don't understand that unless they uh, do very specific things on the investing front, uh, if they just continue to earn income and leave it in fiat, inflation, and all these issues, it's just it's really hard to get ahead, right? That the deck is stacked against them, and so I think that by rewiring that system, what you get is less income inequality, which is a systematic uh, solution, um, but 
before that happens, right? That's going to take a very, very long time. We need to have highly transparent, you know, kind of uh, nonprofit organizations that are uh, solving those micro issues and, and saying to the person, look, you don't have 30 years to wait around for a macro solution, right? You to, you're hungry today. How do we help you today? Um, and so I think the work you guys are doing is super important. And, uh, um, you know, I'm just personally thankful. And I think a lot of other people are, are super excited you guys are doing this. Thank you so much, Anthony. Uh, you know, uh, I totally agree uh, what you just said. I think uh, this whole uh, crypto development is going to be a, 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 a ocean of things and people playing different roles. And in this battle, actually, uh, for the Binance charity, we decided our battle is going to become the last mile solutions, mm-hmm. you know, to really proving something really concrete on the ground, creating the value. And we believe when success brings success, when we demonstrate it's actually work, it's actually, it can have the big snowballing effect. And today, you know, be on our show, uh, I really appreciate, you know, people like you to spreading the good things about the industry industry to encouraging more people to to continue the revolution you know to making it into the next level so it's my great pleasure to be here to talking to you today for sure i usually say the virus is spreading talking about bitcoin but today the charity virus is spreading yes (laughs) where can people find uh you online and also uh where can they find out more information about binance charity uh uh, you just go to our website you can find uh actually you can donate directly and then you 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 can also find me in linkedin on LinkedIn? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and before I let you go, I'll let you ask me one question, but we got to talk about aliens. You believe in aliens or no? Why not? Well, I don't know. Do you? You think they're real? Uh, I think uh, Nelson Mandela once said, it's always impossible until it's dead. <laughs> <laughs> no one has come on this podcast and uh, invoked Nelson Mandela to answer the alien question, but uh, it is, uh, it's a good way to view the world, right? All right. What uh, what one question do you have for me to end? What would you donate? Of course. We'll talk afterwards. I got ideas. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Helen is a professional because she came on uh, the podcast and got me to donate uh, with one question. So you win. Uh, but no, no, no. I got some ideas of things that we can do. And um, I might even be able to get a couple of companies that maybe aren't donating yet. We can... Uh, we can help explain to them the importance of this work and then see if we can get them involved as well. Thank you so much, Anthony. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming. My great pleasure again. <laughs> hey, everyone. Pop here. If you like this episode of Off the Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, Simply go to the Off The Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off The Chain.